Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. Good morning, Renewed Church. How are you this morning? Okay, all right. Let's do this. We normally do this. Uh, Let's break up into groups. And uh, this is the question that we have, all right? Uh, What words of wisdom or what life lessons did your parents teach you? All right, so we have been on this series called City Monks. And it's just been, I don't know about you, but it's been such a tremendous help and encouragement to me uh, to know my identity and what it means to live out my Christian life uh, in the context of, of course, the church and the universal church, but also the local church. And so I've been really excited about this series. Uh, You know, I want to talk about a component of being a city monk that I believe is so, so very important to us. And so we're going to be looking at this um, this morning. Uh, but before we do that, I want to share or make a confession. Uh, I am a mama's boy, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. How many here are mama's boys out of the guys? Raise your Okay, good. You should not be ashamed. Or daddy's girls. Maybe, maybe raise your hand. Okay, great, great. So I'm, I'm not alone here. I'm a mama's boy, and I've shared in previous messages that my mom has been the greatest influence of my life. As a matter of fact, if we could show a picture really quick. Uh, this was at my graduation. Uh, my mom, the, the Asian lady, right? Uh, she's, she's my mom, and uh, she was a tremendous influence in my life, and that's one of those pictures that, that I hold so very dear. Uh, I can still remember her momisms. That, that's what I call it. You know, those wise words, stuff that you guys talked about in your groups, those things that were said that uh, were very, very important and instrumental in your life. My mom, very aggressive Asian woman, you know, in sharing and giving her opinions and also giving these momisms. The most memorable one that was ingrained into my brain was David focus on the inside, not the outside. David, focus on the inside and not the outside. So I remember as a teenager, I was working out with weights. I did that every day. I wanted to get huge and yoked, you know. And so as I was working out, my mom would pass by and she'd go, and she'd she'd cluck her tongue. She'd go, David. She goes, develop the internal, not the external. I remember I'd be looking in the mirror, admiring myself, and she would say, David. Say, David. Work on the interior, not the exterior. My mom said it over and over again. And you know what she was saying? She was saying, David, be a man after God's own heart. My mom named me after one of the greatest characters in all the Bible. And I've often wondered, as I was younger, why? When we look at David, we see an Old Testament saint that was very accomplished. We see the greatest king of Israel. He was the Michael Jordan of Israeli kings. 
As a matter of fact, everyone, uh, every king that came in history was always compared to the goat, to David, to see whether that person was a man of God or whether he failed in some way. David was the greatest psalmist. He was the worship leader of Israel. More than half the psalms in the Bible were written by this man of God. David was the greatest soldier of his time. He was respected by his mighty men, his army. But not only that, he was respected by his allies. And to, to, to make it more astounding, he was also respected by his foes. They saw him as the greatest soldier. But not only that, he was also the greatest messianic prophet. He foretold about Jesus the Messiah. In other words, Jesus uses David more than any other prophet to refer back to himself. So it's obvious, isn't it, that my mom is a tiger mom and she wanted me to overachieve like David in the Bible. And that's why she named me David. But that wasn't the case. When I asked her, it brought a revelation to, to me. In light of all of David's accomplishments, what made David so greatly used of God is this one truth, and it's a biblical truth. What made David great was not his public heroism, but rather his private heart. Let me say that again. What made David great was not his public heroics, but rather his private heart. David was an inside man, not an outside man. David was an interior person, not an exterior person. David was internal, he was not external. What my mom instilled was not from her ideas. She was not giving me, or she was giving me divine truth from the word of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when God directs the prophet Samuel to look for the future king of Israel, this is what he says in verse 7. Do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, the heart is that inner. It's that hidden. It's that private place. And God looks at it. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart. You see, greatness with God does not occur in the external places. Greatness with God occurs in the internal. And we want to look at that this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here we see a 17-year-old teenage boy by the name of David. And God had been privately preparing David his whole life as a shepherd in the backside of a desert. God had been establishing David's character for 17 years to be a man after his own heart. So that before David's public appearance with Goliath of Gath, and we all know the story very well, David's inner heart had already been established by God. When you study the life of David, you see a man of tremendous passion and commitment to the Lord. So that even when he falls, even when he fails, we see he is consistently one who searches after God. There's a sincerity of heart in his love for the Lord. Where were those characteristics made? Well, they were engraved in the desert experiences. They were forged in the valley experiences. They were perfected in the hidden experiences of life. You know, every one of us, we have a public life and we have a private life. The public life is what people see. It's our public persona. When I look out in this auditorium, I see good-looking people, dressed well, 
with great personalities that can share stories externally. That's the public life. But the private life is only what, what you and God see, what you and God know to be true in your life. It's not the outside, it's the inside. And God places supreme value on our private life over our public life. Now, if I had time, I would show you scripture after scripture in the Old and New Testaments where this is true. But God's desire is to prepare you in that private place where no one can see. Because it's in our private walk with God that will determine our public success as Christians. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to look at one of the most recognized stories in all of the Bible. You've probably heard this story hundreds of times. It's the battle of David versus Goliath. But what I want to do this morning is I want to skip the public victory. We're not even going to talk about that. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the private stuff. Now, why are we going to do that? Because we tend to gravitate toward the public display of victory. And many times we overlook the private things that made that public victory possible. The private things that are just as profound. I'm reminded of Pastor Wilson's message uh, last Sunday on the vine and the branches. Where he said that we tend to focus on the fruit, but not the root. When we look at a church that's growing, we tend to focus on the fruit of that church. How it's growing, the numbers. We tend to focus on the things externally, but we never focus on how that root system is attached to the vine. Remember that? And that is crucial. That is so important to the fruit that we see. This morning, I want us to study the life of David to look at the root so that we can learn how to be disciples of the heart. We want to learn how to be men and women after God's own heart in cultivating our interior lives. Deep, strong, mature discipleship that requires spiritual development in the interior of our lives. So let's look at the internal character traits established by God and exhibited in David before his external victory with Goliath. So the first point we want to look at, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's very easy. We want to look at David's humility. David's humility. Let's look in verse 14. It says, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from King Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, I want us to stop right there. This is an easy passage to pass over without even a second thought because, of course, we tend to gravitate toward the big story of his victory with Goliath. But these two verses are extremely important. Let me set it up, okay? If you have your devices, uh, we don't have it up here. But the chapter before it, chapter 16, I want you to notice a few things. In chapter 16, verses 14, beginning in verse 14, it says this. I just want you to listen. If you want to follow along, you can. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, let our king command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. Now drop down to verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Drop down to verse 21. David came to Saul and entered his service. 
And Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers, underline armor bearers. Then Saul said to Jesse, allow David to remain in my service, for I'm pleased. Drop down to verse 23. Whenever the spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, David would, play, would take his harp and he would play. Now, I want you to notice this. In the passage we just read, we see that David was already promoted to Saul's court. He was tormented, Saul was tormented by evil spirits. Uh, David was enlisted as a musician because of his skill at music and singing, but he was also uh, one who was very, very uh, attached to the Lord. He was a worship guy, and so he would play the harp. He would soothe Saul's mind, and so he became one of Saul's armor bearers. Now, make a mental note of that. He became a permanent uh, armor bearer in this position uh, with the king. Okay, now I want you to look, chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I want you to notice the second thing as I set this up. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Drop down to verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or the height of his stature, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse answered, there is still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel anointed David in the presence of all of his brothers. So here's what I want to set up. David was anointed by God as the future king of Israel. David knew it. David's parents knew it. David's brothers knew it. David was already in the court of the present king as an armor bearer and as a worship leader. So in light of that, that we know, why in the text that we're looking at, <clears throat> chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, did David go back and forth to tend to his father's sheep at Bethlehem? David could have dismissed these responsibilities. He could have said that shepherding his father's flock was beneath him now because of his status and where he was. As a matter of fact, we've studied this before. The life of a shepherd was a very humble existence. Shepherds were considered uh, the least occupation. So there was no nostalgic idea that David loved doing this, that this was something he was aspiring to. This was surely no place and position for the rank of a future king of Israel. But now I want you to notice the heart of David. He sees all responsibilities as equal. David didn't say, now that I'm courtier to the king, I shouldn't have to do this. He didn't say, well, one day I'm going to be the future king, so this is beneath me. I'm not going to do it. I want you to notice the heart of David, that he is willing to take on any responsibility that God required him to do. Let me share with you, I'm sure that he didn't like doing these things. But here is the heart of David. David was a servant. 
Christians, we are called to be servants. It's easy to forget that in our lives. The deeper we grow as disciples, the more like Jesus we should become. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. Look at it up here. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What's his attitude? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. You see, the example of Jesus was humility as a servant. I don't know where you are today, but I want to ask, is God working on your private life? Are you in a struggling, mundane, monotonous, lowly job? Are your circumstances difficult? Is God using sickness? Is God using conflict? Is God using trials? Is he using those things to humble you, to make you more and more like Jesus Christ? Are, is God showing you areas of disobedience? Is God revealing areas of pride? Is the Lord pointing out areas that you're unwilling to follow? Are you finding it difficult to be a servant in the lowly things? If you are, can I remind you something? Don't despise the lowly things. Because God is using it to make you into the person that he wants you to be. We see that God was developing David's servant spirit in the lowly, mundane, humble things before he ever saw the public success. You see, humility is so important to a city monk. Are you humble in the lowly things? The second point we want to look at is David's dependability. David's dependability. Let's look in verse 17. Let me read it. It says, Now Jesse said to his, his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brother and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Drop down to verse 22. David had left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. I want to stop right there. You might be thinking again, why are we even looking at this stuff? Why are we even mentioning? It sounds so insignificant. So he took grain and bread and cheese to his brothers and the unit commander. So he left his flock with a shepherd. So he went back and forth to tend to his father's sheep. So what? What's the importance of that? As insignificant as that sounds, we see a pattern emerge, don't we? As insignificant as these things are, we see a pattern. And here's the pattern. That little things are important to David. That David was dependable with the few sheep that he had in his care. You see, the little things in private determine the big things in public. Song of Solomon this is one of my favorite pieces of wisdom literature. Chapter 2 and verse 15 of Song of Solomon says this. Catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards because your vineyards are in bloom. What does that mean? Well, here we see in the wisdom literature, life is like a vineyard. That we're growing and productive and prosperous. But it's the little foxes that do the big damage in our vineyards that are in full bloom. What are the little foxes that threaten our productivity? It's the little habits. Little habits 
can make a big difference in our lives. You see, it's in our private lives that we develop good habits and bad habits. And dependability matters to God. So let me ask you this. How are you with habits in your life? How are you with your daily devotions, with your quiet times with the Lord? You know, Pastor Wilson has, has said it already in, uh, in this series that Christianity is a relationship with God, isn't it? And so prayer is communication with God. Uh, studying scripture is learning about him, is walking with him. So the question is, how much time do we spend each day in our communicating with God? Do we spend 20 minutes? Do we spend 30 minutes? Do we spend four? Do we spend the time that's necessary? You see, it's the little foxes of neglect that come in and damage our growth and our productivity. Do you regularly tithe? You know, the Old Testament talks about giving 10%. The New Testament talks about giving more of your wealth. I'm not so concerned with the percentage. I'm concerned with our heart attitude. Do we give regularly as a habit to the Lord? There have been times I've taken out, and of course, you know, I've gone out with all our different life stages here at the church. It's my joy. Uh, I've taken out college students, and I've never had a college student pay for me, ever, because they don't. They just don't, okay? I think one person in my whole life as a college student ever paid. But I understand, right? It is so true that, you know, when you're, you know, in college, you don't have money and everything. And I've talked with them, and there are times that, you know, they shared with me, when I become a doctor, when I become a lawyer, when I become this engineer, this famous person, I'm going to have a lot of money, and I'm going to give it to the church. And you know what I always say to that? You know, I always smile, and I say, what makes you think that you'll give regularly and generously when you get older, right? And it's so true, because we're developing habits right now. Are you developing a habit of worshiping God in the resources that are given to you? See, it's in these times that we learn how to love the Lord in that way. But it's the little foxes of self-centeredness that keep us from our productivity. Let me give you another one. Are you actively involved in the church? Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, do not neglect to meet together. That's talking about corporate worship as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more. The Bible calls us to be faithful in our commitment to the local church, to participate as a body of believers, small groups, prayer meetings, Bible studies, that we are to serve together as a community in this world. So the local church is the place, Hebrews says, where we're encouraged in our spiritual growth. That's where it becomes a habit. We know this, but many times we develop a habit of excuses. We say, well, the church is important, but I have career obligations. I understand how important the church is in our life, but you know what? I have business priorities. I have my hobbies. I have my kids, this or that. Now, I'm not saying any of those things aren't good things, right? And they're important things. But many of them altogether become excuses, and we become tempted to live out those obligations and responsibilities and hobbies that crowd out the spiritual growth. Here it says, catch the little foxes of apathy that tend to grow in our lives. Let me give you another one. Do you honor the commitments that you've made? Here the wisdom literature tells us to catch the little foxes of irresponsibility. Do you keep your promises or do you break them? 
Can people count on you or are you flaky? My mom used to say this to me all the time. The greatest ability is dependability. Have you heard that before? That's so true. The greatest ability is being dependable. And David exhibited habits of dependability in the little menial tasks that he was assigned. Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus puts it this way. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Are we dependable in the little things? Let me go on to the third component of this, and that is David's integrity. As we look at our interior lives, this is an extremely important point. David's integrity. Let's look in verse 23. Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard. So, Goliath, we know all about him from previous Sunday school uh, studies and everything. Goliath's title was champion, means that he was undefeated in single combat. But the Bible says that all the Israeli soldiers, including King Saul, trembled in fear of this person. But here we see in the scriptures that David, the 17-year-old boy, is not afraid. And that begs the question, why not? Why wasn't he afraid? Let's continue reading in verse 26. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here, David refused to call him a giant, and he refused to call him a champion. Instead, David refers to him as uncircumcised, right? Now, when you read this, you're thinking, oh, David's trash-talking, right? He's calling him, ah, uncircumcised, right? That's what he's saying. But that's not it, because at this time, everyone in the whole world was uncircumcised except for the Jews. So he's not trash-talking. What's he doing? The word uncircumcised actually has the meaning of pagan. He's not a part of God's covenant community. And so David is saying, who is this pagan who attacks God's character? He doesn't even know our God. And so word reaches King Saul. Let's look in verse 31. It says, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, King Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. So here Saul tries to give him a reality check. You're a 17-year-old teenager. He's a champion, giant warrior. There's no way that you can fight with this person. But notice David's response. And this is the crux of the whole passage. This is the reason why David was unafraid. This is why David had such confidence. Let's look in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's flock of sheep. When a lion or bear, get that, underline that. When a lion or bear came to carry off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. I seized it, and I killed it. David's saying he's killed both the lion and the bear. Now, he's not bragging here. If you thought that he's bragging, you're missing the whole point. David is sharing his testimony with the king. See, David's experienced God's faithfulness in the past. And on the basis of that, David has complete faith that, uh, in God for the present. This is where we see David's integrity of heart. He is trusting in the Lord. Let me ask you this question. 
Do you know why David was not afraid to run from a giant in public? It's because he wasn't afraid of a lion in private. Do you know why David didn't back down from a giant in public? It's because he didn't back down from a bear in private. Are you understanding how amazing this is? Listen, if I put you in a pit and I said, the only way you're going to survive, and I'm going to give you a choice, is to fight either a male lion, a grizzly bear, or Shaquille O'Neal. And I said, you had to choose one of those. What would you choose? A male lion, a grizzly bear, or Shaquille O'Neal? What would you choose? Of course you would choose Shaquille O'Neal, right? Because you have a chance. You at least have a chance fighting against him. See, the lion and the bear are greater opponents. They're greater threats. But yet David has already faced the lion and the bear in private. And so what is this giant in the public arena? It's nothing to him. You see, this is really important to understand. We forget the miraculous victories that David already battled in private that nobody ever knew about. And many times the battles we face in private are even greater than the battles we face in public. No one saw David fight the greater lion or the bear, but that's where his integrity was shown. Let's look in verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, the battles we win in private will determine our success in public. No wonder David exuded victory in public. It was a testimony of his private victories. And let me say it this way. Win over your private foes so that you won't lose in your public life. Defeat pornography in your private life so that it won't uh, become infidelity in your public marriage. Defeat covetousness and greed in your private life so that you won't embezzle money from your public workplace. Defeat laziness and sloth in your private life so that you won't be a failure in your future ministry. Defeat bitterness and resentment in the private arena so that you can grow to be a gracious, Christ-like person who will do great things in the public arena. That's what it is saying here. There are areas in your private life where God is teaching you to be real, to be genuine. He is teaching you to defeat those things so that you can become a person of integrity. Can I get an amen? That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. You see, Jesus' greatest indictment on the Pharisees was in the area of integrity. And we've studied, right? Remember studying Matthew? We've studied this. That the Pharisees' public and private didn't match up. So instead of integrity, there was hypocrisy. Let's look in Matthew chapter 23. I have it put up here. I want you to look at it with me. This is what Jesus says to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to, appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is saying, listen, the inside matters, 
But all you focus on is the outside. So what's the solution? Jesus tells them, clean the inside and the outside will be clean also. Match your private life with your public life. Jesus cries out authenticity is what the child of God needs to be. You see, real life Christianity means taking the private life seriously. That God's desire is for you to become a deep disciple in the private as well as in the public. Have you ever studied the life of Saul and the life of David side by side? I'm going to end with this. Extremely interesting when you compare and contrast these two men. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king of Israel. Both are contemporaries of each other. But Saul was a man of public outward appearances. When you look at his life, the outward was really all he ever truly cared about. So it's interesting that even when Samuel tells him he's been rejected by God, Saul tells Samuel, just don't embarrass me in front of the public. Don't embarrass me in front of people. It didn't faze him that he was rejected. It fazed him that he might be embarrassed. But David was a man of private inner character. He was a man that we've studied of private integrity. And so compare Saul and David. And let me ask you this question. Who was the greater sinner? When we look at the life of these two men, who was the greater sinner? By far it was David. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. What did Saul do? Saul was proud. Saul didn't obey sometimes. He half obeyed, but he kind of half did obey. So when you look at these two men, right, our logic would be that God would bless Saul and not David. Why did God bless David and reject Saul? It's because when God brought these things to light, Saul didn't care. Saul didn't repent. And David had a heart to repent. David had a heart to say, you know what? My relationship with you is more important than anything else. And that's what we have to understand. That heart, that inner life, that interior uh, desire to live for the Lord. David was not a perfect man, far from it. But we see a person who allowed God to develop uh, things in his inner, in his secret, and in the private areas of his life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. In the quietness of your own heart, I want to ask, what is God developing in your private life? Is God developing humility? Are you humble in the lowly things? Is God developing dependability? Are you dependable in the little things? Is God developing integrity? Are you righteous in the unseen things? Father, I ask that you would bless our people as we continue to study the life of a city monk. We ask that you would make us inner men and women, that you would make us people after your own heart. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary 
to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over this season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.